Welcome to Challenging Colonialism, a podcast dedicated to amplifying the voices of Indigenous California. An important note from the start, the producers are two white male educator academics, and these are not our stories. This podcast will center Native voices, and our intention is to highlight the significant work being done by Indigenous communities to challenge ongoing colonialism and to broadcast information about the resistance and resilience of Indigenous California in the past, the present, and the future. This episode will feature an interview with Marian Martinez and her daughter Veronica, both of whom are members of the Amamutsun Tribal Band. They will be speaking about Marian's great-grandmother, Ascension Solorzano de Cervantes, and her mother, Martha Herrera. Ascension, who passed away in 1930, was a last fluent Woodson speaker and one of the Amamutsun tribal band's beloved ancestors. In 1929, Ascension spent three months with ethnographer and linguist John Peabody Harrington, who recorded thousands of pages of notes on Woodson language, culture, and history. Today, Marion, Veronica, and many other Amamutsun tribal members draw on these important notes to learn about their ancestors. This season, we have featured a series of stories about salvage anthropology and the damage done by scholars and academics towards indigenous communities. This story helps show the complexity of this history and the ways in which some contemporary indigenous community members can draw on these records in very important ways. My name is Marianne Martinez, and I am a member of the Amamutsun tribe. I am a direct descendant of Ascension Solorzano de Cervantes. Um, she was born in San Juan Baptista, and her parents were part of the mission system. Myself, I was born in Oakland, California, and most of my traditions were based on my father's Mexican heritage. Very little did we speak about our native heritage as growing up. Oh, when, yeah, growing up. Okay, girl. Uh, so I'm Veronica Martinez. Marion Martinez is my mom. Um, Martha or Martha Herrera or Roscoe is my grandmother. And Ascension is my great-great-grandmother. Um, I live and work in Hayward. I uh, teach at Chabot College. I teach in the Communication Studies Department. And I also uh, co-coordinate the Indigenous Peoples Education Association. Um, I've always, my whole life, lived in the Bay Area, born in Oakland, moved all around the Bay Area, and primarily, again, living and working in Hayward. I also identify as a Mexican-American and, again, enrolled member of the Amamutsun tribe. It came about how I learned is with the Amamutsun tribal band. My uncles were involved in restructing and getting federal recognition. At one time, our tribe had federal recognition, and it was just taken away. And so they were working on it to get it back. And at that time, we were working with three tribes. That's when I learned about the Harrington Notes, Ascension, and my mother. So Ascension, as a youngster, we would go to San Juan Baptista Mission, and we would go yearly to the native gravesite. And we'd take flowers, clean out all of the weeds, anything around there. 
And it was just a small area. And at that time, they had like little wooden crosses, no names, but little wooden crosses around this section of area. It wasn't very big. And you could enter two ways, either through the church or through there was like a, the double door where you could actually go into the graveyard itself, not having to go into the church. It was at that time being a member of the tribe, learning the history, because one of the things you needed to turn in for tribal recognition was your ancestry chart. Can you prove yourself that you're this native person that you're, you're claiming to be? Then we found out that Ruasensiun was. When we would go to Gilroy, we would sit in the living room, and there was this picture of this woman. And I said, gosh, who's that? And I know they said her name, but I didn't know that was Ascension. Well, that was her house. That, and it's still in the Kitchen family, that house is still. But I didn't know. And then as we were going through all the notes, they would say, okay, you know, your mother did this. So when Mr. Harrington came to talk to Ascension, my mother was there. She was raised by Asensio, not by her mother, but by her grandmother. And so she was there and she just started taking notes for him right away. She spoke and wrote Spanish. Of course, my great grandmother spoke Spanish. That's how they met. That's how I learned about them. That's how I learned about my ancestor and my mom. And the way it came up again, I was given copies of these notes of Mr. Harrington. We had gotten quite a few copies of uh, from Ed Ketchum. He had some, so I was able to copy him. So I had him in my possession. And then we had gone to Santa Barbara. A number of correspondence from Mr. Harrington was turned over to the museum by his daughter. When he passed, she had all this correspondence. So she didn't want to just throw it away. She asked the mission museum if they would want it. And they said yes. So we were able to go down, my, one of my sisters and I, and copied a lot of this correspondence. Of course, it was correspondence from my mother or my grandmother or members of the family to Mr. Harrington. We didn't see his answers back, or, but we could tell that they did correspond. And then a, a number of the letters were always dated as far as the year, so I could put them into a year. But how I got to read them, start to learn something from the letters, Valentin Lopez is writing a book, her chairman. And he said, Marion, I'd like to write one chapter of Ascension. I'd like to write about her history. At that time, and it's only been just last year, did I start reading all of the notes, putting them into order. And I had a lot of information as far as the family tree was concerned, but not really digesting and understanding what went into that, what was collected, what was needed, who was involved. That's how I really got to understand and appreciate this work that was done. When the mission was first closed, Ascension wasn't part of the mission system, but she was born at Mission San Juan Baptista. And they lived there for a time. They actually owned property three miles away from the mission. Then different things came and they had to move, they had to move, they had to, and most of her life they lived in there was different little villages around San Juan Baptista, and they settled in this village that now is known as Kilroy. When she was there, 
She was known as an herbalist doctora. She can cure people based on the herbs, knowing different plants, knowing what this person, what their illness was. At the age of 14, she was in a coma for six months. And at that time, uh, just still a teenager, but she was healthy. But during that six months, her, her parents, they didn't know what to do. They were so at a loss. Do you want something to eat? No, I'm being nourished. But all through that time, she, she would account for different things that happened to her. And when she came out of that coma, she was skin and bones. She did, but she was fine. And she remembered everything that happened to her during that time period. But from then on, if she had a patient come in and she did not know how to cure them, at night she would go and she would pray, how do I help this person? And she would get an answer through her dreams. How they made their living was growing vegetables, fruits, and selling them down in Watsonville. And that's how they would get some money so they knew the plants, they knew everything around and what hills that's in Watsonville, that's on the road going to Hollister. You'll find this one. So they would ask family members, uh, Mr. Harrington would say, okay, I need this plant. I need this plant. Okay, that plant came from ask so-and-so, tell them to give you that plant and what this was used for. So they keep chronicles. They'd have the plant, the Latin name, what it was used for from Ascension's work with curing folks. When was this plant needed? So her reputation grew as a person that could cure you if somebody would come to them because they didn't have any other place to go. They couldn't afford to go to the doctor. They would come to them. She said her house, her backyard was like a mini hospital. She had that many patients. People would come to them when the doctors couldn't find a cure. And they said, okay, we heard of you and we would like you to treat us. So she had different ways people would come to her. She said that even the tramps had her house marked because they knew if they came to her, she would help them, she would feed them, and she would take care of them. And if they didn't have any other place to go, she would take care of them. That's how she became well-known or respected and also a person that would be trusted. She didn't have any degree. Well, Mr. Harrington was from Santa Barbara. He went to school in Santa Barbara, and he had a scholarship invitation to go to a school here in the United States, but he wanted to go to Germany. Well, in Germany, they felt you should be with these people, not just learn about them through a book or talk to them. You should go and visit. And that's what he liked. He liked that one-on-one conversation with people. He liked to be right there. When he came back, that's what he did. But he also applied for a um, job, and he got it with the Smithsonian Institute. And that's where he really started. So he would go to different tribes. His first one was down in Southern California with the Rumson, and he met Ascension once in 1922. Ascension was married twice. Her first husband 
So she has some children with the first husband and then Cervantes. But her first husband, her daughter, was with her, Claudia. And so they remembered him when he came and um, when, when he first came in 1922. But then he went back to um, the Smithsonian. And in 1929, he heard Asensio was still alive. But she had this tumor and she was very sick. She was very weak and wasn't thought to be alive for very much longer. He said, I've got to go. And so he went back. And when he walked into the door, she said, oh, my God, I was hoping I would see you again. And she said, you are here to save my language. And her family was around and she said, this person is rich in languages and customs and he's going to save our language. He's going to save our language for us. With the help of him and the help of me, our language will live forever. So she was so proud to meet him. So he met her in August. And he stayed there. They had a two-room home in Monterey, California, her daughter and her husband. And they said, you can stay here. You don't have to go find any place to live. You just stay downstairs. So they had a nice big piece of property. It was just beautiful. And um, so he did. He just parked his car. He's so he would he could go up anytime, day or night, as long as she wanted to and had the wooliness. He would just interview her on everything. What was this plant? And she would just tell him stories. She was okay. What's the word for this? Okay. So he was able to, and I don't know what they called it, but it was like a cellular type recording. So he would record her words as well. So he stayed there for three months. It was expected that she lived maybe three days. But he, he wrote to Mr. Cerny, he says, it seems like every day she has more enthusiasm, not strength. She even got up out of bed today and she was able to walk around and she was just talking, talking, telling, it's kind of like me, <laughs> telling me all these stories and um, all these different occasions. So I would ask him, her a question and she would just light up and just tell me. So she was in good health up October, November, December. She passed January 30th, 1930. So she started getting weaker and weaker um, parts of January. So she would be telling him something and then she just couldn't remember why they didn't finish. But her life was prolonged because she was able to do this. She says, I know this is God sent that this is what I'm supposed to do. Just beautiful. There has been a lot of work and there has been a, a great dictionary that was produced, but we don't have that link to make sure that we are doing it correctly. But this was all done through the Berkeley University. So it's it's really English Mutsun Dictionary. So there was a lot, many years of work to doing this. My mom was able to take some classes relearning and I think that's the perfect way to think of it is the dormant and it's yes. sort of coming back and I think you know mom when you said um, Ascension's comment about now our language won't be lost what that means is our people our culture won't be lost because mm -hmm. language is so important I mean that's what you said language is everything right and 
um, within the language, you see what we valued, you see what we, uh, how we saw the world. On one of the letters, Mr. Harrington wrote back to Washington, D.C., he says, I'm learning the customs, I'm learning the language, I'm learning the food, I'm learning traditions, everything, you're absolutely correct. All of that is encompassed in, in what she had in the time that she had to speak with him. And Ascension's contribution to that is immeasurable. We, mm -hmm. I mean, without that, I mean, there's been other contributors and of course other many people working to consolidate it, but without that work from her with, within those months, um, we would have lost so much. Exactly. We wouldn't have had, I wouldn't have even known to go back to this. Yeah. Quick question, just before I forget, I'm learning too as we go. I thought she passed in Gilroy because you were mentioning the sort of the hospital in the back of that house in Gilroy uh, on Rosanna, right? Oh, I Rosanna. thought she passed there. You're saying she was actually in Monterey at your grandma's house? Right. So she was there, living there in Gilroy and mom was with, living with her. She raised three of her My grandchildren. And so when she got sick with the tumors, though, she started getting real sick and she needed more help. And so she didn't really have that help in Gilroy. So she went to her daughter's house, um, Maria Mondragon, in Monterey. And she had, and I think you see the, the pictures of her with that black dress. Okay, so she took that dress with her black silk dress because she felt she was going to pass in that dress. And she thought she was going to pass within days. And this seems like a good time for me to ask um, for a little bit of information about your mom. So I know uh, Martha is, was a key figure in this whole story and uh, doesn't often get talked about in this, but I'd love to hear a little bit about, about your mom. Again, we, we didn't know about the work that she did either until we started reading these stories and then come to find out what mom did all this, you know, and some of this were... Um, I know people ask me, well, didn't she tell you? <laughs> and I'm saying, no. But when we were growing up, there was five of us, pretty close to age, right? We had a total of eight kids. Uh, I was born in West Oakland, but when we moved to East Oakland, I was only five. And I hadn't even started school yet. And so my other sisters, they were still in junior high, high school. So my mom had a lot to do. But I really don't think children in at that time really listen to the you know stories of their of their mom or dad but even when I'm looking at these notes I can see where she's saying you know she used to call him Doc or John so they had a very good relationship but she would always tell him you know the work that you're doing is so important this is going to be saved by everybody she never said a word about herself that she was doing this, she was keeping it for him. She was that link between all of the stuff that he needed, getting it to him, cataloging it and getting it to him so he could use it, right? She never thought of herself as that key person. Even with the notes, when I had gotten the notes, when we got the documents from the Santa Barbara mission, oh, seeing her handwriting, seeing the question she's asking, seeing that Okay, Doc, I have this. We, my, my mom and dad were coming over from Monterey. They saw this plant. They picked it up because we know you wanted it. And how they 
were so sad that they had to dig up this plant because it was the only one left and, you know, could it make it, you know, could they pack it well enough? He would send all, okay, Martha, I've sent you these uh, cartons. I want you to label them this way. I want you to put, put them this way. And I don't know how they were able to get back there so quickly or, you know, without, yes, your boxes arrived today and she had to mark them. Okay, we put these over here. She did all that work. And had I not seen those letters from uh, Santa Barbara, I don't think I would have made still that emotional connection because in that, seeing her handwriting, you know, she became this other side of her that I didn't know because we always considered her a housewife, right? My dad went off to work. My mom did everything else. That was her job. But reading these notes and knowing that she had to do all that work, but he always commented, Martha, your work came over. No, he used to call her Marta. And he says, your work came and your handwriting is beautiful. She always got A pluses on her handwriting. And she did. She had beautiful handwriting. You could always read it. His is a little bit scribbly, but hers is nice and clear. Because he had met both Asuncion's first husband's children and also Cervantes' children. So he met both of them. So all of them. But Henry was the biggest help also because he could take him to this, okay, we know where you wanted to, who you want to talk to. So he was able to meet more people because of our whole family helping him out. My mom, her cousins from Gilroy to Monterey, picking up these plants for him, telling him what they were used for. I mean, the whole family was a big contributor to Mr. Harrington in these letters. And again, had I not read those, I wouldn't have known that. And he keeps talking about, well, Carrie, ask Carrie, because she was older and she would have been around Ascension more. Ask Carrie. She knows the word for it and she knows what it's used for. And if you don't know, oh, can you go and get? So he had so much help from the whole family. And when he went to um, my grandmother's house in Monterey in 1929, that's what he met a lot of the family, a lot of the friends, and he was able to get interviews from a number of people. So my grandmother passed, Ascension passed in uh, January of 1930. So her letters start to him. And when she first started with the plants, but he also said, you know, I'd like you to translate the mission documents, because he wanted the recordings of who was born, their names, how their lineages were, where they felt. That's how he got documents of her parents, their role numbers in the mission. But what was interesting was he wasn't there. My mom was doing that work. And like you were saying, he was someplace else because he had all these other places to go to. So again, my mom says, okay, Alberta's here with me. Another one that was growing up with her. They were another uh, granddaughter. They were Risa's sisters, right? Okay, so she had help again with the family, even at that beginning time. And Because I always thought he was there with her, but no, he wasn't. He had so many places that he was going. In some of the correspondence that we got at the museum, he was in Halon. He was in different missions. He was, you know, all over North, South, even he was down in South America for a while. 
So she did a lot of that on her own. And at the time, he was working for the Smithsonian. So she received $75 a month. So he said, okay, I've gotten permission from the, um, and that was just San Juan that she was transcribing. I've gotten permission from um, San Juan. Mr. Sterling here from the Smithsonian is going to continue with your work. He wants you to continue writing these. But we've already gotten permission. You just go ahead back to the mission and continue to work. So she was on her own with other family members doing this work when she first began. He wasn't really there. How he, she got her direction was through mail. Isn't that interesting? I couldn't believe it. <laughs> he must have been a food body because he always asked about recipes. How did she make tamales? How did she make tortillas? And, you know, there was one story in there about beans. And Asensio um, wrote back and he she said, we didn't do beans like that. I don't know where you got that, but I don't see from in that letter how she corrected it. But whoever gave him that information, it was not the, not the way they did it. We have some of the craft work that they did. So I'm so kind of trying to uh, separate it in that way. Some of their uh, traditions, their cures, they called it Sergeant Branch now, but that one time it was Surgeon. That's how they referred to it. Her parents, since her parents were young enough, they could go to some of the um, cures. So that's how we found out that there's the water that they would use at the top of Surgeon was considered only for the, um, what would that word be, for the mm, ceremony. And she talked about Fremont Peak, but those are the only two in the in the copies that I have, that the two mountains that they spoke of, and both for the water. And the water that was brought Fremont Peak from the top of Surgeon that they would use for their ceremonies. And then they would pass that water around. They would give it to the the patient, of course, first, and then pass it to everybody that was there. Growing up, my mother didn't uh, really talk about it and about the indigenous part of us. She would always tell us when we were going to school, remember you were Mexican. And for years, I didn't really um, understand why I was young, at, okay. But it wasn't really questioned when my grandmother would come over, she would always talk about the native parts of her and the different things that were going on. But again, being young, I didn't really um, understand, but I always knew I was Indian, but I wasn't to talk about it. For whatever reason, I wasn't to talk about it. And it wasn't until I grew up, this is interesting, not till I grew up, my mother has already passed, of course, my grandparents. Um, I don't think my mother was ever, ever ashamed to be named. Never, never. The only reason why I think she said that in my heart is because she knew what the government was doing to the Native people, how the kids were taken away, how they were put into boarding schools, and even up to even happening when we were kids. And I really think she did it to protect us. But I know I passed that on to Veronica in some way because of a story that she remembers um, from her childhood. But I don't think it was because ever was she 
especially doing all this work and especially knowing all the things that happened to the natives, all the things that could happen and still were happening, um, children getting taken away. I think that she just didn't want anything to happen to us. For today, um, I'm not quite sure how to answer that part. I just know how I feel that I'm learning something about uh, my heritage, um, that side of me where I come from. And um, it does make me feel better to know that. I, I don't know how to explain that either, but it does make me feel better to know who I am, where I come from. I just was going to add that, you know, I think past generations, like my mom said, we we have um, a practice of not talking about what we're doing. And there's it's complicated, right? I think, you know, part of it is, as you said, grandma, for example, just too busy. I think a lot of times, you know, our family worked really hard and we concentrated on what's in front of you. And that's all we could do for many reasons. I think also there was a humility. There was, uh, you know, being humble and not sort of talking about everything that you've done. But then also, as you're adding on, there's the complicated history. You know, I'm guessing that for grandma, for your mom, it would be hard to bring up some of these stories. Mm -hmm. The pain around it and, and the pain is layered, right? You know, from... It's just a lot of different kinds of emotional, physical, um, mental kind of anguish, historic and throughout her life. It would be hard to tell these stories. And then, like you said, survival needs. You're not going to bring up something or call attention to something that could cause you harm. Mm -hmm. So for so many reasons, um, you know, this tendency to not talk about who we are. I also saw the um, documentary about Harrington, but what was interesting about that, well, first of all, grandma wasn't mentioned, so I'm so glad we're doing this, this conversation, but there, I, when I was looking up Harrington's, you know, trying to find the documentary, I ran across a review of the documentary. Two other people, I forget their names right now, were doing a review of the podcast, and they said, why didn't they mention Martha Herrera? <laughs> and I said, they know my grandmother. So it's so cool that people are now talking about this, but yet there's so much work to do, right? There's so many people who don't know this story, who don't know. And, and it's partly, you know, again, like we said, because we haven't talked about our own story um, and we've let other people tell our story and it hasn't been accurate. So now that people are asking and we're getting space to say, who we are, whether it's in using language in a park or doing a podcast or the documentary or the work that they're, they're trying to do in elementary schools. Um, this is so important right now that, um, that we have a voice and that can tell, we can tell our story now. Um, it's not to say we're not still healing. Um, there's a, still a lot of pain. So I understand why it wasn't talked about before. You know, I've heard some of these stories from my mom, but there are pieces of what I'm hearing today that I haven't heard either. We, we have a bad habit of not talking or listening, so 
This is hopefully turning around. So the next generation will do this automatically. We don't need to be asked formally to do it. I think it gives us a chance to share gratitude, at least spiritually with our ancestors. Um, you know, because we didn't talk about any of this, uh, well, we didn't talk about the pain, but we also didn't talk about the gratitude. We never, I never got a chance to thank my grandmother for all of this because she didn't want to talk about it for so many reasons. Um, but I never got a chance to, to say thank you and to say how important her work was. And um, we have a lot of strong women in our family and they never talked about the work they just did it. And it's been a role model that um, I didn't realize was happening, but I'm so grateful that that's who my role models were. Mm -hmm. so thank you for the conversation. <laughs>